I think my newest grandson has uh, Alexander beat because his middle name is Clyde. <laughs> that brings back memories of the torture we put my brother through, my sister and I, when he was growing up because his middle name was Clyde. Douglas Clyde Dixon, and we could get him in tears in no time at all. It just, it just got him. So I, I understand where you're coming from. Uh, you know, I've spent several months in preparation for this opportunity to speak and typed everything up, went through it, I don't know how many times, and about 10 o'clock last night, the Lord says, you can't speak on that. Uh, it was pretty traumatic. <laughs> I, if I fall asleep up here, you'll understand. I was up really late last night going over uh, desperately what he wanted me to speak on. But something really hit my heart. And it's about two men in the Bible who were behind the scenes kind of guys. And without their diligence in the task that God had given them, the whole nation of Israel couldn't worship. And so what I'd like to speak to you about, and of course, these two gentlemen, you don't really see a lot of them, a lot of written about them, especially in Sunday school material because they're so behind the scenes, but they were so critical in their ministry. And what I want to do is use that to share with you today how critical your ministry is right here. Because without your doing God's will, exercising the gift that God has given you, the church won't function as it should. So I've got a little bit of reading to do, if you could go along with me. Let's start in Exodus chapter 31. And I wonder if you know, without looking right now, who these two men are. Well, it says in Exodus 31, and we'll begin at verse 1. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works, to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in cutting of stones to set them and in carving of timber to work in all manner of workmanship. And I, behold, I have given with him Ahoyliab, the son of Ahisamach, the of the tribe of Dan, and in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted, I have put wisdom, that they may make all that I have commanded thee. The tabernacle of the congregation, and the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is there upon, and all the furniture of the tabernacle. And the table and its furniture and all the pure candle and the and the pure candlestick, 
with all the furniture and the altar and so on. And then if we can turn over to Exodus 35. Exodus 35, and we'll begin at verse 21. This is an amazing portion of God's word. And there came every one whose heart stirred him up, and every one whom his spirit made willing. And they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation, and for all his service, and for the holy garments. And they came, both men and women, as many as were willing-hearted, and brought bracelets and earrings and rings and tablets and all jewelry of gold. And every man that offered, offered an offering of gold unto the Lord. And then over to verse 30. And Moses said unto the children of Israel, See, the Lord hath called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he hath filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and in knowledge and all manner of workmanship. And to devise curious works, to work in gold and silver and in brass, and the cutting of stones to set them and the carving of wood to make any uh, manner of cunning work. And he hath put in his heart that he may teach both he and Ahoyliab, the son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan, them hath he filled with wisdom of heart to work all manner of work of the engraver and of the cutting workman and of the embroiderer in blue and in purple and in scarlet and in fine linen and of the weaver family, I mean, and of the weaver, even of them that do any work, and of those that devise cunning work. Uh, one other, just two, two other quick scriptures, and then in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and verse 10, says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. And then finally, over to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 48 and verse 10. Cursed be he that doeth the work of the Lord deceitfully, or literally negligently, or slipshod. You know, when it comes to things of the Lord, we have to do it with all our might. It, when I read these scriptures, especially this last one, it reminded me of the time when I was uh, teaching up in Big Bear. I was coaching there, assistant coach with, uh, on the wrestling team, with a wrestling team. And uh, we would tell our, our wrestlers, and it's true of any sport, that the harder you work, the harder it is to give up. Again, the harder you work, the harder it is to give up. 
And I always remember this one kid. Uh, his name was Eddie. And uh, he kind of reminds me of uh, Leave it to Beaver. Remember Eddie and that? He, he had the same personality. He was, just, he was just a goof off. And while we were in practice, you know, everybody's serious about learning the moves and, and this sort of thing. He was over there clowning around. Just, you know, he just loved to play around. And we kept telling him, you've got to get serious. You've got to work hard. His older brother, Dan, was an exceptional wrestler did very, very well. But his younger brother, Eddie, he was just having fun. Well, there came a time when Eddie actually, there was a spot open for him to wrestle uh, that particular weight at the, at the next uh, match that we had, dual match. And I just thought in my mind, this is going to be really interesting. Here's a guy that goofed off, didn't really, wasn't serious at all. Let's see what happens. He, <laughs> he got thrown all over the mat. It was, he was like a rag doll, you know? And the guy just worked him big time. And he came, off, he came off the mat, and fortunately for him, the match was over fairly soon. But uh, he came off that mat, and you could tell in his, his eyes what in the world just happened. And we had the opportunity to tell him, you didn't apply yourself. If you would have applied yourself in practice, you would have done a lot better. And all of a sudden, he goes, oh, okay, you know, I see it now. And he did. He improved. You know, he took it seriously. And when we are given a task, well, be it, uh, the reason why I say this, uh, one of the things that really got me thinking last night was yesterday where we had a camp meeting right next door, and then in the other Sunday school room was some young men that were uh, working with our brigaders, you know, the leaders of the brigaders, and how they were working. And they were very serious about what they were doing, learning their knots, going over their, and I, it, just, it just hit me, you know. I said, these guys, you know, they're working hard because they've got next weekend, they go to the competition, the camparel, and they want to do well. And so they're working. And and so, again, this was a, a big reminder, reminder to me because it, it was put into Bezalel's heart and Ahoyliab to do the work of the Lord. Uh, it's interesting that Bezalel was not appointed by God to do, or he was appointed only to do a particular uh, task. And also with that task, he was also instructed that you're to supervise or administrate or to teach others to do the same thing. I mean, Bezalel and Aholiab were not the only two people that worked on the tabernacle. That was a huge task. All the things that had to be done. So they got people together that had the same heart. Now, these people just didn't all of a sudden wake up one morning, yeah, I've got the heart to serve God. No, the Bible says that God put it in their heart to do this work. And that's really important. When you take on a task, be it here at this uh, assembly or wherever it might be, make sure that it's the Lord that puts it in your heart and you just don't come up with it on your own. It's interesting, the name Bezalel, it means protection or shadow of God. That's what his name means. 
under the shadow of God. And that tells me about the gospel. Those of us that have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have a job to do. We need to go out and tell people how that Christ loved them, how he died on the cross and shed his blood, paid for their sins, and he rose again the third day. Last Thursday, Thursday morning, <clears throat> had not a uh, doorbell rang, and I could see through the, the opaque glassway in the door that there were two individuals standing on the porch. And so I opened the door, and here are two ladies, and they have a, a little child with them. And the one had this big folder, and she was pulling out these particular magazines that they said, oh, the, the, these uh, magazines will give you much comfort. And uh, so I said, well, listen, uh, and, and, and I've, I've explained this before, it, it really works, and it's, please understand, it's not my invention. Ray Comfort, who is a tremendous street evangelist that works out of uh, Venice and, and down by the beach, uh, he shared this in one of his uh, DVDs. And what he does now is that when they come to the door, he gives them a scenario. And that's exactly what I did to these two ladies. I said, listen, I, I, I got a scenario for you. I just been stabbed in my back with a 10-inch knife. And the blood's pouring out, and I've only got three minutes to live. Tell me how I can know that in three minutes, how I can go to, I'll, I'll be in heaven when I die. And so I looked at my watch. I said, you got three minutes and I'm dead. And so that, well, uh, <clears throat> well, you've got to uh, live this life. I said, well, hey, no, <laughs> I've lived a horrible life and I've only got three minutes to live. What can I do? Well, um, it's, um, uh, and, you know, and then they, she fumbled around for over two minutes, and I said, you know, you got one minute left, and I'm dying. I'm dead. And finally, I stopped them because they were just really knocked off their, uh, on the back of their heels. They said, listen, you don't have the answer, do you? And they said, well, um, we really don't want to go to heaven. I said, you don't? No, no, we want to go on earth. I said, really? I said, did you know in Second Peter 3.12, that it says that the earth is going to melt with fervent heat. And in Matthew 24, the Lord Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my, my word will not pass away. I said, you can have this earth. I don't want it. I want to go to heaven where Christ is. And so we talked for a little bit, and I shared the gospel. And then uh, they, they excused themselves and, and took off. But see, the thing is, is that they don't have the answer. We have the answer. We've been given a task. The Bible says to go into all the world, preach the gospel, making disciples. That's one, one of our tasks is. And so, anyways, it says, uh, without his gift and desire to do what God had asked him to do, there could be, couldn't be a tabernacle. If God hadn't equipped him, there wouldn't be a tabernacle. And if there wasn't a tabernacle, that means that no one could worship. So God has given every Christian a spiritual gift. We read about that in 1 Corinthians 12. What are you doing with your gift? 
Are you using it to further build up the saints? Are you using your gift to spread the gospel? What are you doing with the gift that God has given you? And that's only to those of you and myself who have accepted Christ as our personal savior. Everybody has been given at least one gift. And the other thing that's interesting, it said that God put it in his heart to do this. I mean, he got excited about it. I can see Bezalel and Aholiab just working. He said, getting up in the morning and said, man, let's, man, let's hit this thing. Let's do this, you know, that the Lord has put on our hearts. Uh, it wasn't a job for him. You know, for some people, it's a job to come to church. Oh, man, do I have to get up again? I mean, I'd rather be at Magic Mountain or, you know, I'd rather go to the beach or something like that. And if it's a job, then you need to, uh, as Chris Schroeder said, you need to check up from the neck up, you know, to see if, if you really are in the faith. And um, you must, you need to reevaluate your heart. Um, you know, it's the same thing. Awana or Brigade or Discovery Time or TNT or, or, or Camp or any of the ministries that uh, we're involved in. Uh, if it's a job, if it's a chore, then it probably would be a good idea not to get involved. You know, people can, can tell if in your heart you're not really there. We, in the teaching profession, uh, we, we would refer to the other teachers that, uh, that they could care less about the students. They just wanted the job. We called them paychecks. Because that's the only reason why they taught. I just want a paycheck. And I can't wait till the weekend. Or I can't wait till the next holiday. Or I can't wait till summer. You know, we kid about it. <laughs> Jeff and I and, and uh, Lindsay, we, you know, teacher being teachers, we, we kind of kid about that. But there are some people that that's, and, and the students pick up on it right away. They, people know if your heart is not there. If you're not there for the kids or whatever. And the same thing in church. Um, you know, Rod and I were talking about this yesterday. If, if everybody was totally enthusiastic about the things of the Lord, this place not only would be packed, we'd have to open up the annex and have chairs out there. This place would be full if all of us were enthusiastic about the things of the Lord. Do we have a desire to see souls saved? In Romans chapter 14 and verse 5, it says, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Um, have you ever met anybody that's completely passionate about something? About like, let's say hunting? Ugh, man, you go back east, Midwest, that's all they talk about. In fact, there's a guy that's a church planter, his name's Warren Henderson. And he says, you know you're in hunting area when the women wear camo veils. It's camo. <laughs> everybody, everybody is so loud on hunting, you know. Uh, there are some school districts that do not have classes on opening day of deer season. They don't. Why? Because 
everybody's going to be gone. In Big Bear, when the first big, huge snow hits, especially during the week, I lose 40% of my students because they want to hit the slopes before the flatlanders come on up on the weekends. You know, have you ever met anybody that's compassionate about fishing? My neighbor across the street, last week or two weeks ago, he went, went down and went deep sea fishing and caught a, an 86-pound bluefin tuna. Got a picture of it and gave me some of the meat, uh, the steaks. Man, it was great. But he's got a passion for fishing. And some people have a passion for sports. They're not here because why? Oh, there's a big game going on right now. I got to go watch it, you know? Or, or maybe someone uh, has a passion about a car. You ever see anybody? Well, don't touch my car. You can, well, you might not be able to look at it, but, you know, you know. And, and I had some people, when I asked them, could you help pick up Sunday school kids. Oh no, I can't do that. Well, why not? Well, because, because they'll, get my, they'll get my floor dirty. Well, just the other day, I, I was talking to Sylvia Amos. She's the wife of Aunt Randy Amos. And we're involved in a project building the tabernacle. And uh, we're duplicating one that's on the East Coast. And so uh, she's going to be doing all the embroidery. And so she was talking about it. She says, isn't it exciting to, to do something like this that it will uh, really teach the saints? I said, absolutely. I think it's great. And so she, had, she shared the same enthusiasm. Why are we not seeing things happening at Claremont? the way we'd like to see them, souls saved. Because maybe we don't have the, the passion for souls that we should have. Um, let's take a look at the, the thing, and, and let's go back to Exodus 36. Verses 3 again. Exodus 36 and verse 3. And they received of Moses all the offerings which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of the sanctuary to make it withal. And they brought yet unto him free offerings every morning. And all the wise men that wrought all the work of the sanctuary came every man from his work which they had made. And they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. And Moses gave commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing that is incredible. The people were bringing so much. The piles were huge. You got to figure that there was probably a million plus, maybe a million and a half adults. And every morning there was this long line of people dropping off their jewelry. Maybe, a, maybe there was a pile of gold here. Maybe there was a pile of silver over here. And, and the women 
they brought something special too. They brought polished brass, which would be for us mirrors. And, you know, how many mirrors do guys carry around in their pocket? Not too many that I know. Bob might, but I, I mean, I wouldn't. I mean, I mean, you know, my hair's out of place, big deal. Big deal. But for the woman, that was very, very important because uh, they wanted to make sure that they looked good. But they gave those, and it was made into a laver where the priests would come and do their daily washing of their feet and their hands before they went in to serve the Lord. Without the women giving up of the things that were important to them, no service to the Lord could take place. And this speaks to me, and I hope to you also, that for, in order for God to be served, we have to give of those things from us. And then the other thing was this. You've got to realize that everybody in Israel, every one of the children of Israel, they were all slaves their whole life. They didn't have anything. They, they worked all day making bricks. And then, at night, and then the, when they got off of work, so to speak, they would probably go and have to uh, raise you know, their crops or their animals or do whatever so they could at least survive. They, they were living hand to mouth. They had nothing. But the, when they left Egypt, the Egyptians just showered them with all this gold and silver and precious stones. All of a sudden, they were extremely rich. Now think about this, if of all your life you had nothing, and then all of a sudden you had all this stuff, what would your thought be? Should I give it up? No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hoard it. You know, typically someone from the, the Great Depression, nowadays, you know, if they live this long, they're, they're hoarders, why? Because they've lived so long without anything and now they've got something and they're not gonna give it up. But that wasn't the case with the children of Israel. These slaves, which had nothing, gave up everything. And so we hear, we hear the term, give till it hurts. That is a very unscriptural term, give till it hurts. What the Lord says, if it hurts, don't give. You give because of your heart. You want to give. And so we then... It reminds me of that the one story that's told. There was a, a, a small congregation, and they uh, people didn't have a whole lot of money, but they want they knew that they had to build an annex onto the building. And so the thing is, is that um, there was one guy in the congregation that had a lot of money. I mean, he could easily could have uh, floated that, you know, he could have given enough money to, to build that annex. But uh, it wasn't happening. Well, one of the church leaders sat down with him and talked to him and said, you know, we gotta, we're trying to raise money to build this annex. Or, or, you know, what, what can you give? He says, oh, he says, I can only give the, the widow's mite. And immediately the man stood up told everybody in the congregation, folks, I got good news for you. We just have enough money now to build the annex. Our brother here is going to pay for it. What, what, what are you talking about? 
Well, the widow's mite was everything that she had. And if you're going to give the widow's mite, then you're going to give us everything you have. And that should be enough to, to build the annex. But that's not how it usually turns out. And so what God wants from us is a cheerful heart. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Second Corinthians chapter nine and verse seven. Every man, according as he has purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Then we come to this. That was Bezalel. Let's talk a little bit about Ahoyliab. Ahoyliab, his name means tabernacle of his father. And that's kind of interesting because that's exactly what he was involved with. He was involved with the tabernacle of Jehovah. And it's interesting as far as we can see when we look at the, the scriptures in, in Exodus that uh, Bezalel and Ahoyliab... Um, didn't have any background in metallurgy or wood carving or embroidery or any of that. They didn't have that background to fall back on because God gave them that ability. And if God puts something in your heart, he will give you the ability to do it. As Bill McDonald used to say, God pays for what he orders. So if God has put it in your heart to do something for him, he'll give you the means and the opportunity uh, to do it. And it's interesting that um, Ahoyliab was from the tribe of Dan. Dan was one of the, the lesser tribes. You know, they, they weren't the biggest tribe. In fact, unfortunately, they were the, the tribe that introduced uh, idolatry into the nation of Israel. So they were kind of put down. And yet, Bezalel, he was from the tribe of Judah, which was the exalted one. That was like the top of the, the heap. But yet these two worked together. Can you think of anybody else in the Bible where two of them worked together? Uh, the disciples, the Lord sent them out two by two. Very important. When you take on a task... It's also important to find someone else that will partner with you in that task. Um, you think of Paul and Silas, Paul and Barnabas, always two. And so you think of um, another person that was from the tribe of Dan, of course, a little bit later, Hiram. He was the, the head workman as far as the construction of the of the temple was concerned. And uh, he was also from the tribe of Dan. And so God is the one that equips us. And so what I want to ask you as we kind of close here is what has God put in your heart to do here at Claremont? There are some people that 
have basically checked out. I said, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sit on the sidelines and watch everybody else. Well, you can do that. But when the Bible tells us that we're to exhort one another daily, we're to build one another up, we're to encourage one another, that doesn't go along with Scripture. If you're someone that likes to sit on the sidelines. And you need to go before the Lord and ask him, why have you allowed me to be here at Claremont? What do you want me to do? Because I want to see people saved. I want to see saints built up in their holy faith. And it doesn't mean that you need to be up here. It doesn't mean that you've got to be the head of a, you know, of, of some great event or some great work or whatever. You could be behind the scenes like Bezalel and Aholiab, because that's exactly where they were. They were behind the scenes. But if they hadn't done their work, then there would have been no service, there would have been no worship to the Lord. And so God is not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. And so in um, go back and go back to Exodus uh, 35. Exodus 35 and verse 30. And Moses said unto the children of Israel, See, the Lord hath called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. He called him by name. God is the God of order. He didn't just say, hey, if there's anybody out there that wants to help in this, let me know. No. He specifically called people. And he's called every one of us into his service. And we need to encourage when we see someone that is doing the work. We need to go to them and encourage them to continue to do that. And that's so important. You know, God gave, and he didn't say to Bezalel and Ahoyliab, uh, you know what, I, wanna, I want this uh, Ark of the Covenant built. And just use your imagination. No, he gave them exact blueprints. And God, when he directs us, he doesn't just let us go out and do whatever we want. He gives us specific directions to follow. And we need to follow that. And those directions are found right here. And so... We just, he just didn't give them carte blanche to do what they want, but they had specific details on how to build what they were called to build. And, it, and he called them by name, Bezalel and Aholiab. It reminds me of John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. The Lord knows us by name. And then, of course, he said, the Lord said, I, don't, I not only want you to do this task, I want you to teach others to do it also. And the question that I have is, in whatever work that you're doing, are you working yourself out of a job? 
Are you teaching others to take over or to continue to do it on their own? Are you making disciples? Uh, David and Justin are in Kansas, or in Topeka right now, Kansas. And what they're doing is that they're observing a program that they have there at Shiny Bible Chapel, a discipleship program, much like what Bill McDonald and Gene Gibson did up in the Bay Area, they did in Louisiana, Galilee, and what Nick is involved in, in Lubbock, Texas. And they want to bring it here. And they want to start uh, building up the saints here so that we can get out and do evangelism. We can uh, do, uh, become true disciples of the Lord Jesus. And they're passionate about it. They are, they're sold out on this thing, working together with a couple other people here and the elders. And it says here that God gave them wisdom. In Proverbs 11.30, it says, he that winneth souls is wise. If you're winning people to the Lord, you are wise. You've got wisdom, the wisdom of God. And so, as we close right now, I just simply want to ask you, what has God given you to do? What does he put in your heart? Remember, that's exactly what it says here in Exodus 35, that God put in the heart of Bezalel and Aholiab to do a particular work for him. And as a result of that, people were able to worship the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that the story, the the uh, example of these two men in the Old Testament, Bezalel and Aholiab. Father, will speak to our hearts as to what you want for us to do here at Claremont. Not only in this chapel, but Father, in this community, that we want to see souls saved. We want to have that enthusiasm Father, we want to be here because it is your son's presence is here. Those that gather in my name, there am I in the midst. And so, Father, I just pray that these stammering thoughts and words will speak to our hearts. But, Father, those things that were said of the, of the flesh that will be completely forgotten. But, Lord, may we learn from these two men that because of their enthusiasm, their desire to, to serve, it blessed a whole nation. We ask, Father, that we will follow that example in your son's worthy and precious name. Amen.